This Tuesday, January 31, federal, state and territory governments have agreed to a new action plan to tackle the overrepresentation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children in the child protection system. And I'm joined by Catherine Lido, CEO of SNAKE, to explore the new development. Thanks for joining us on NITV Radio, Catherine. Hello, thank you for having me. This action plan couldn't come soon enough as the numbers about children in the out-of-home care are just uh, staggering. Uh, I saw the statistics earlier today. One in every 32 Australian children ends up in some sort of uh, state care. And when it comes to First Nations children, the situation is just uh, catastrophic. 42% of children in out-of-home care are First Nations children, while they only represent 5% of the overall population. A national disgrace, actually. Yeah, I think that's the only way you can describe the number of our children in out-of-home care, a national disgrace. And it's symptomatic of the fact that they have been part of a childcare system, right? That system was built to do this. That system was built without us and without our needs being met. And I think what today's announcement around the first of the two five-year action plans under Safe and Supported, it's the first time Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people were able to come to the table and negotiate with government. And that was 18 months of consultation where our mob told us what was happening in their lives and what it was that they needed. And across the board, what they said is, we have no voice. We have no self-determination. We are not able to make decisions for ourselves. People come in and they make these determinations without us. So what's really significant about the new action Action plans is they move towards giving families um, a say in how they raise their children and really moving towards more into early intervention and um, ensuring that uh, in all things related to the care and welfare of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children, we have the ability to come up with local place-based decisions that are unique to the environments and the challenges that families might be experiencing because this is about removing barriers so that all of our families can thrive. Yeah, this horrible situation has been around for a long time. Is, there, is this yet another plan like the many others before it, or are we going to see some real change? Look, we hope so. It, 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 like any plan, it will need real commitment. It needs real commitment and it needs real resources. So what we know this plan will do is if it is followed and it, if it is true to the national agreement, because we don't have this plan in isolation, this is the first plan negotiated through the national agreement. It's the first of its kind. And that means that there are incredible priority reforms that underpin it, right? So what does that mean? It means that all of those policy settings we've been talking about that people can't see that stop change happening have to be addressed. So we're confident that if it is implemented with true intent, with true, you know, you know, there's no doubt about it, you're going to have to put your shoulders to the wheel on this because we're changing the way organisations work. We're talking about the transfer of control and service delivery to Aboriginal people. We're talking about moving into early intervention instead of um, tertiary interventions. So um, this should work and certainly right now when we look at things like the um, experience of Alice Springs, which is my hometown and, and my community where my family live, where my house is, we have never needed a plan like this as much as we need them right now. And Alice Springs is not isolated. We are seeing the emergence of really disturbing and concerning trends right across Australia, and they are all underpinned by areas where there are high numbers of children coming into contact with tertiary intervention systems. 
And uh, this brings up another question in the background also concerning for children is the issue of uh, the minimum age of uh, criminal responsibility. This has been uh, under consideration for decades and yet nothing is uh, being seriously done about it. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? In Australia, to 2023, we can lock up children and say that they are criminally responsible at the age of 10. They still have baby teeth. It is, it is, that again, it's a national disgrace and we need to be looking at what is causing, what are the underlying causes? What's coming, what is going wrong in a child's life that they're coming into contact with those systems? Why aren't we, instead of rolling out detention systems, rolling out police, coming up with the solutions and saying, does this child have a safe place to live? Does this child have enough food to eat? Is there school available to this children? And did we get in soon enough? And, and again, if we look at some of the trends that we're seeing, a lot of those trends relate to areas where they're referred to as childcare deserts. And that means that there was no early childhood care and development service available for families. Where those families don't have access to those sorts of things, you can expect to see developmental concerns and delays in children. But you're also going to see less um, ability for families to engage in things like employment, really simple things like that. Um, so these things, they're not a surprise. And again, a lot of the work Snake does is about targeting issues like that. And, uh, the newly agreed uh, action plan is articulated around uh, eight priorities, I hear. The eight priorities in the action plan are all designed to work simultaneously, right? So they are a scaffold. If you want one to fire, the other has to fire as well. These were the things that unanimously across the country, Aboriginal people stood up and said, this is what we need. And, and they tested, we tested it. We said, you know, what happens if we say this? What happens if we say that? Um, but what is really, really exciting about it is there is a genuine move to place-based decision-making, and that is families and communities being able to come up with the solutions that target the problems that they are experiencing in their own environment. So not Canberra coming up with the solution, not your capital city coming up with the solution, but you as a local community saying right at this moment in time, this is what's happening in our environment and this is how we believe we can fix it. There's also a move to ensure that families, if they come into contact with the, uh, with the child protection system, actually own the journey, right? So it's not about people coming in and saying, this is what we're going to do to you. This is how we're going to solve your problem. It's about families having a say at the table where they say, listen, we want to tell you our story. This is what's going wrong in our lives. If we had some help here, this is how we'd solve it because this is what we heard unanimously across Australia and that is all families know what is what where they need help and how they might solve it if that help was available. In the press release leading up to the launch, I saw that over 200 child protection agencies, big bodies, government and non-government organizations have come together to bring this action plan about. Is it the first time that such a big number of parties join forces to address the issue? Look, Aboriginal people have been coming to the table to have conversations for a very long time, and we do it en masse. And the fact that they can, Aboriginal people come back to the table every time is a testament to the incredible resilience of our communities. What's different about it this time is because of the national agreement, they came in partnership, and that meant that they were equal decision makers 
to how this plan would roll out. So it wasn't a matter of governments just making up their minds and saying, "This is we've listened to you, now we make up our minds. It was a genuine negotiation where, where people identified what it was that they needed and we weren't then held in isolation. We were able to work with government on how those things could look in policy. And, and again, policy sounds, uh, if you're not familiar with how policy works, it sounds really airy-fairy, but the fact of the matter is policy drives investment, policy drives programs, policy drives how we measure what's happening in our communities, and policy drives election cycles. So this is fundamentally important because it is the first time we have been able to negotiate at this level, and that included things like being able to send these plans back for redrafting several times. And uh, that brings us to a crucial question about funding. Uh, are there mechanisms built in uh, the action plan to ensure that uh, funding will be ongoing regardless of the election cycles? Absolutely. And, and certainly there are a significant number of the actions that are going to require financial investment and those investments aren't there at this moment in time. And there will be sequencing issues. There's no doubt about it because different governments are at different stages of their own election cycles. Again, what is fundamentally different about this is every single state and territory, as well as the Commonwealth, were involved in the negotiation. So I don't even want to think about how complex it was in, in, able, in order to be able to get every single one of those cabinets to agree with each other and not be the power brokers in it. You know, it was the Aboriginal people saying, this is what we need. So what we know is that it survived, it has already survived several election cycles, including a federal government cycle, which means it has good buy-in. Does it have all the resources it needs right now? No. But is are there governance processes in place where we can continually go back to the table and say, well, where is the funding? How are you going to invest it? And when is it coming? And what can we mobilise in the interim period? Those mechanisms are in place. Is there a checklist? Yes, there is. There's a higher level of accountability and that sits in the overarching national agreement. It looks like the A is starting on uh, the right footing Oh, look, we can only hope. And, you know, there is no such, the truth of it is there is no such thing as a silver bullet and there is no easy fix. This is going to take time and it's going to take an amazing amount of a commitment, but there is certainly hope. Catherine Lido, CEO of Snake, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us about this important development in child protection today on NITV Radio. Thank you very much.